0: And once you said what's up to all your besties for the resties, feel free to have a seat. Hey, I miss you guys. Last Sunday was just not the same without gathering together. But can we just all agree that prom was lit, okay, everybody? Oh, my goodness. All the front row is like the, all everybody attending. Like, we were going crazy to shut up and dance. I never thought... That song is what got everybody excited. And I have to be honest with you, we put uh, Uptown Funk on the playlist. And I don't know if playing Uptown Funk in a church is, like, correct, because, like, liquor's mentioned, but I was like, he's talking about communion. We're good. It's all the same. But, hey, if you did not attend prom this year, you slept on it. So don't sleep on it next year, and it's going to be better than this year. But uh, as Rebecca mentioned, it is our two-year birthday today. Two years ago, this ministry began. Yeah, we can put our hands together for that. And it's just honestly through the faithfulness of our God, but also the faithfulness of this wonderful team. And real quick, if you are on the collective young adult servant team, can you just stand up real fast? Just stand up. I'm sorry. I have to do this. Stand up. Let's honor these people. Stand up. Stand up. My wife needs to stand up too. She's on the team. Stand up. Hey, there's some more of you. Some of them aren't here. But these beautiful people. Make sure, stay, stay the whole service. No, just kidding. Um, these beautiful people really make sure this happens every week. From our AVL team in the back, we got Landon and Ryan, Jalen, Paul, all back there. And uh, you guys, we're so grateful for each and every one of you. If you're new tonight, um, the purpose of this ministry isn't just like a college church. Like, why is everyone the same age as me? What's going on? No, this, tr- th- th- this ministry, it exists to serve young adults, to equip young adults, to help young adults find community and friendship and belonging centered on Jesus so that we can be sent out to change our city, right? Because you can't go alone, right? You can't go alone in the name of Jesus and just try to charge against the city. You need a community around you. And so we've been doing this for two years. And little known fact, we started this ministry in 2020, okay? Like Satan's year, all right? Like that was like the worst year ever, We began this ministry in 2020. We had a month to start it. So we're like, let's just go for it. Let's do it. And then after, a day after we started the ministry, the government told us to shut down for two weeks. Okay. Do you guys remember that? And everything was shutting down. And I literally remember teaching to like Zoom. Oh, God, Zoom. What a terrible word. Zoom. And there's like five people in the front row. I'm like, oh, God, what do we do? But. Here we are, right? Like, the Lord has proved to be faithful, and the Lord has proved to be doing something in this ministry, and so we're so grateful. But it's our two-year birthday party, uh, so we're going to be eating, like, so much vanilla ice cream. Real quick, who's a vanilla person? Raise your hand, okay? Where are my chocolate people at? Okay, okay, vanilla people, I'm with you. You can put on anything. Sorry. Um, and tonight, we're actually beginning a new series I'm really excited about. We're starting this series that we're titling, When Life Gives You Lemons, When Life Gives You Lemons. And the subtitle of this series is, When Life is Hard, But God is Good, right? You know what I'm talking about? And the the premise of this series is we're using this title as kind of a joke because usually when life is difficult, we don't have much to really tell people, right? We say, for every cloud, there's a silver lining. At the end of every rainbow, there's a pot of gold. Like, we say these things and we think of these things in our culture. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But what if you hate lemonade? And if you do, I'm sorry. But... There's not much we can really do with the circumstances we're often given. Then we're almost even more guilty of this in the church, right? Like, Christians are the epitome of saying corny, weird, cliche things when someone's going through a hard time. Like, you ever get coffee with a friend, right? And you're like, man, it's just been really hard. I feel so far from God. And they just look at you. How's your quiet time? (laughs) It's like, bro, my mom died. What are you talking about? Like, (laughs) Right? Like, we, we as Christians, right, somebody passes away, we say, well, they're in heaven with the Lord now. It's like, I don't, okay, like, I'm, I'm still frustrated, right? Like, we as Christians, we have a tendency to kind of just put Band-Aids on bullet wounds, right? Uh, I think of that Flex Seal guy, you know what I'm talking about? Where he has that, like, there's, like, this, this vat. I don't know what else to say. It's like a glass vat of just water pouring out of this broken part. And he just slaps, like, a piece of duct tape on there. Flex Seal, like. That's Christian's approach to pain. <laughs> that's like Christian's approach to suffering, like flex seal, duct tape, a Bible verse, okay? But uh, we need to understand deeper how to deal with life being hard. Like, like how do you live in the tension of life being hard but God still being good, right? Like that's such, that's such a weird thing if you really think about it to come to a conclusion about. It, if you think about it in a logical way. Like, if I asked you how was your day, and you said, yeah, I had a good day, and I was like, tell me about it. Well, I woke up late because I was crying all night, so I didn't sleep much, and then I drove to work late, and so I didn't get to eat breakfast, and my boss yelled at me and made me cry more, and then once I got to work, I needed to go get lunch after a few hours, and I went to go get lunch, and my car got declined because I got student loan debt, so I couldn't eat lunch, and then I got home, and my dog died, so yeah, it was a good day. It's like, you'd be like, are you a sociopath? <laughs> right? Like... When we, when we think of something good, something difficult or frustrating or not so good being accompanied that with that doesn't seem to be the reality. But as Christians, we need to grow and come to understand that our circumstances cannot dictate God's character. Just because the circumstances right now really suck, right? Because some of us are like, you know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? But like some of us, if I asked you to raise your hand, say, yeah, my life kind of sucks right now. But we have to come to a place of understanding. The circumstances are bad, but God's character is not predicated upon the bad circumstances. And you can build a very fragile Christianity and very fragile faith to Jesus if you expect that every single time you commit your life to Jesus, every single time that you've read your quiet time, every single time you've done all the things right, that life will go well, you're going to develop a very fragile faith. Because when life doesn't go well, when your dog does die, RIP, like it, it's still frustrating. You can check all the boxes, but things still happen. And so this the series isn't necessarily, and tonight I'm not necessarily going to talk in the ontological reasoning behind good versus evil and have professors debate up here. Like you go YouTube that. There's a million sermons on that. Go listen to those, right? But tonight I want to talk a little bit deeper about when you're in the midst of the hardship, when you're in the midst of the struggle, when you're in the midst of the difficulty as a follower of Jesus, how do you build an endurance? How do you build an endurance to persevere through the hard times, right? And so we're going to be doing uh, different character studies in the Old Testament, right? So, so if you've ever read the Old Testament, it's messed up people being used by a good God, okay? Like I remember the first time reading the Bible before I was a Christian, I was like, wait, I thought everyone here was like, perfect what's going on and God's using like prostitutes and like guys with seven wives it's in the Bible but it's not biblical okay fellows but like God's using these like strung out wild misaligned people Samson's like giving up everything for some chick and he like gets his dreads cut off like dude you lost your dreads why'd you do that but God's using these messed up broken people in the midst of his will to perfect what he wants to do and so if you're in this space tonight and you're feeling that tension of, man, life's, life's a little hard right now. Life's, life's a little frustrating. Life's a little difficult. I want to talk to you about endurance in exile. Endurance in exile. So all throughout the Old Testament, the primary theme is exile. Exile is this feeling of placelessness, this feeling of not belonging, this feeling of being isolated from your home, from, from this deep internal longing for something better than the current circumstances you're in. I'd say many of us know and understand what it feels like to be exiles as Christians, right? You, you, as, you, as a Christian, you're just signing up to be ostracized in society, right? And Christians, really, we're, this home isn't our world. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, this home isn't all there is. Like, to try to make earth home and think, like, this is all we got as Christians. we got to make the most of this life as it is. It's true to an extent, but, like, thinking this is all we got. That's like getting in the back of an Uber and you start decorating it, okay? Like, I don't care. I don't care how often you take Uber. You might be taking Uber tonight, okay? I don't know why you would. Save your money. But, like, it's like getting in the back of an Uber or a Lyft with the driver that smells like hot dogs and being like, all right, here we go. I'm going to, like, get up a tapestry here. I'm going to get my comforter out. And it's like, yo, get out of my Toyota Corolla with your comforter, bro. Like, what are you doing in the back of this Uber? Uber. As Christians, we kind of have a tendency to believe, though, that this earth was made to be comfortable, even though it's temporary. That this life we're living is supposed to be comfortable and supposed to have it all together and supposed to make sense, but we're living in exile. We're living away from our home, away from where we belong. And so this is the beauty of Christians gathering together in fellowship, right? It's a bunch of weirdos, hands raised, like I'm a, re- I'm a weirdo, right? Like, like uh, weirdos getting together and, and a little piece of, little piece of home. Right. Like tonight's like a little piece of home, like a little piece of like, I can take a deep breath. Like as a follower of Jesus, like I'm not the only one. Right. Because there's something significant about armoring together, being together and and looking forward to what we have. Right. So exile, this theme is all throughout the Old Testament, primarily, and particularly in the book of Genesis. It's repeated by Adam and Eve. Right. In the Garden of Eden. They messed up, they did the wrong thing, and their mistakes are repeated for generation after generation after generation. A few weeks ago, I talked about Jacob and Esau. They repeated the same mistakes their parents did, and this is the theme of the whole book. And so we, we can really draw from what principles can we adapt specifically from the book of Genesis, from these characters as Christians, how to live and endure an exile. And I want to speak on one particular character tonight, kicking off the series, I want to speak of my guy, Joseph, okay? If you're a fan of Joseph, then you're a fan of suffering, I guess. But Joseph is like the third most like suffering person in the whole Bible. And I want to teach particularly out of Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40 if you've got a Bible. And Gen- uh, Joseph summed up, anyone, anytime anyone teaches a sermon on Joseph, it's like, okay, So he has, like, all these brothers, all right, and they don't like him because he has, like, a Gucci coat, okay? And then he has this Gucci coat, and all his brothers don't like his Gucci coat, so they try to throw him down a well. It doesn't work. He doesn't die. So they sell him into slavery. Then he goes into slavery. And then when he's in slavery, he's under this guy named Potiphar, okay? And this is what people try to do in all one sermon, right? They try to talk about the whole life of Joseph. And Joseph is in slavery, and he's under this guy named Potiphar, but Potiphar really likes him, so he's, like, entrusted with his whole household. But then Potiphar's wife is, like, trying to get fresh with Joseph, and he's like, no. Then he runs away buck naked, loses his Gucci coat, okay? So he runs away. Potiphar's wife is like, I try to get fresh with him, and he rejected me. So I'm going to go to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife says, hey, Potiphar, this boy tried to get fresh with me, okay? And then he throws him in prison, all right? So this all happens in Joseph's life, and then he gets elevated to Pharaoh's, like, governor position, and then he gets, becomes the vice president of Egypt, and then he gets reconciled to his brothers. It's like, whoa, this is so good, right? And people try to do this whole narrative linear thing in one sermon, and it's hard. And I think a lot of time with the Bible, we like to really look at characters who suffer a lot. When in the end the story turns out okay and they gain a lot. It's like, oh, Job, man, he was left with his wife and his wife was like the only person that didn't die and she was super mean. So like that was the most suffering thing God did to him. But then he gets double-folded in the end, so it's all okay. And then we look at Joseph's life and he has all these terrible hard things happen to him. We're You're Like it's okay, he becomes vice president and he's all good, he's got money now. Like we, we have a hard time just kind of sitting in a lot of the suffering of the Bible characters, don't we? We have, we have a hard time just kind of accepting, okay, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, but what if life just gives you lemons? You know what I'm saying? Like, what if life just gives you lemons? Like, what if life is just difficult right now? Like, what if what you're looking at is just a mountain of things that you cannot overcome except by the grace of God right now, right? And, and like, you don't know how you're gonna make out of it. See, this, this is the breeding ground. This is the soil in which God works, in which I believe he speaks deepest to his people. So I was tempted to speak on forgiveness. I was tempted to t- teach on reconciliation. I was tempted to teach all these different things with Joseph. But I want to go to the darkest moment Joseph experiences, right? It's like the darkest point of his life, like the lowest point. Because you know what they say, when you hit rock bottom, the only way is up. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm here, and, I, and I'm praying through this, and I'm like, Lord, This passage really summarizes all of Joseph's Joseph's life and journey. And so where Joseph is in this moment, in Genesis chapter 40, where Joseph is, he's in prison, okay? And prison back then in Egypt, like 2,000-something, 3,000 years ago, right? Like, it wasn't like prison today. Like, if you gave, like, the guard your sandwich and were really nice, you could, like, parole eventually. Oh, good behavior. Like, that's not how prison worked back in the day. Like, if you're thrown in prison, like, good luck, okay? That's, like, it. If you're thrown in prison in the time of Egypt, 4,000 years ago, you're sent there to die, right? Like, you either die there or you get beheaded. Like, you got two choices, right? And this is where Joseph is. He gets sent to prison, and he's in this context of he's probably never going to make it out of there. He's in this context of he gets falsely accused, forgotten by his brothers, isolated from everyone he knows. Everyone thinks he's dead, and he's just sitting alone in a jail cell feeling like he's going to rot away for the rest of his life. He doesn't feel like there's any more hope for him. And then these two guys, a cupbearer, right? So, this guy that literally his job was to give the king wine, okay? Like, I do that all day. Like, sign me up, okay? Here we go. 50 grand, cupbearer, okay? Like, and then there's this other guy who gets sent to jail. We don't know why, right? Like, maybe Pharaoh was mad at him today. I don't know. And then there's this other guy who makes bread, so he's a baker, gets sent to prison with Joseph. And that is where we are at in our story. So I'm going to start reading in verse 5. There's going to be verse 7 on the screen. We're just going to go with it. I'm going to be in the ESV because I couldn't find the Bible that I meant to teach out of, but it's all good. All right. Verse 5, Genesis 40. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison... Each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had bad dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Oh, sorry. We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. All right. I believe from Joseph's life tonight, we can can understand the full context of scripture and we can understand how we as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, young adults, 18, 28, whatever you're at, how do we endure in exile? How do we endure as people who don't belong? How do we endure in hardship? I believe the first thing we need to do is we need to take a seat. We need to take a seat. See, I believe we build endurance in hardship and suffering when we become orientated towards others, right? Let me explain. I believe Joseph chose in this moment, instead of focusing in on himself, growing internally towards his own issues, keeping his head up and being aware of those around him, regardless of what was going on inside. And see, if, if you want to persevere through hardship, if you don't want hardship to be the final note on your journey of faith, if, if you don't want just difficulty and you couldn't hash it, you couldn't make it through, just be the final check mark on, on your abandonment of following Jesus, I believe you need to become others-orientated. And when I say take a seat, I believe we need to take a seat in other people's circumstances, right? Because when you take a seat, right, there's something about really not going anywhere, right? When you're standing, it's like, I got my legs, I can run so fast, watch, like, right? Like, when you take a seat somewhere, you're staying for a while, right? It'd be weird if we were all standing this whole time. It'd just be very strange, right? Like taking a seat is kind of like a posture of consistency. And for many of us, we, we need to learn that even though we're going through hard things, even through, though life is difficult, we need to come to a place of taking a seat in other people's stories. Because when life is so hard that it feels like it's crushing you, there's something so beautiful and impactful by being the hands and feet of Jesus, of looking to others, that you become not so self-centered on your own pain and frustration and suffering, right? It's real. It's there. Don't, like, deny it and be like, I'm everyone's armchair psychologist. No, I'm not telling you to do that. i will tell you, take a step back. Are you aware of people in a room? Are, are, you, are your ears perked up to, to hear someone's story? Are, are, you, are you ready and available for others in your life? Or are you, are you so closed in, like, like a straitjacket of just, like, psychosis, of just, like, you don't understand what's going on with me. I, just, uh, I need a boyfriend. It's like, are you, are you open to others around you? This, this is what Joseph is doing. I, I think we can just skip over this in the story of Joseph. There's so many tiny, minute moments of his faithfulness that produced this endurance in his life to really make it through all this hardship. He says, in this... When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Are you paying attention to people around you? Are, are you paying attention when you're at work? Are you paying attention when you're at school? Are you paying attention when you're at home? Right? Are you somebody that's, that's so kind of caught up in your own thing? I think this is one of the most disappointing things of the past two years. Like, I remember being in the midst of the lockdown, the shutdown, whatever, right, the imprisonment, and, like, thinking, like, man, when when the church gets back, dude, it's going to be crazy. Like, we're just going to be so stoked. We're going to be serving other people. We've just been so selfish this whole time. We're just going to get out there and just revive our city. Then we get back, and it's like, Like it's just kind of like where where's like the fire? You know what I mean? Like like where's the excitement from followers of Jesus to go serve people in their city? Like everyone's like, oh, who'd you vote for? <laughs> right? It's like it's like, dude, where where's like some movement? You know what I mean? Like, I expected everybody to react externally after those those years of just being locked in, and we kind of just stayed there a little bit. Some people have been able to break out of it, but but as as believers, it's kind of like. Kind of like we're, like, dragging along our friends, like, okay, bro, like, come on. Like, let's serve some people. Like, let's get involved. Like, let's join a connect group. Like, FaceTime calls every week are not a connect group. Like, come on, let's go. Like, when are we going to become aware of other people? Not just aware to where you're looking down on somebody, right? Like, right now I'm, like, kind of looking down on you. I don't know why I have to stand on this stage, but I have to because the mics and the, whatever, okay? But it's kind of intimidating when someone's looking down on you, isn't it? When someone sits with you gets at eye level with you. There's something human about that. And so Joseph decides to take a seat. He doesn't make it about himself. He doesn't say, guys, my life has been so hard. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how hard it has been. My brothers threw me down a well. You never know what it's like to do that. No. See, Joseph, he had every excuse to focus on himself. My friend, do not get trapped in the recurring Deathly cycle of wallow self-pity, wallow self-pity. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to be frustrated about circumstances, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. And the best way to wake up from that, be aware of other people. Get, go on a mission trip. Go on an outreach trip. Go serve people in a nursing home. Like, like go hold babies in a NICU like, that nobody's going to hold, right? Like, like, get out of your own head, your own circumstances, and see what the Lord wants to do through you in this city, when you decide to be aware so we take a seat in other circumstances let's keep reading we ended there at verse i believe eight yep no one can interpret this please tell them to me verse nine so the chief cupbearer told his dream to joseph and said to him in my dreams there was a vine before me and on the vine there were three branches as soon as it budded its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes pharaoh's cup was in my hand and i took the grapes and pressed them into pharaoh's cup and place them place the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, "This is the interpretation like on the spot. This is the interpretation. The three branches are 3 days, and 3 days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer." So we got to take a seat. And once we take a seat, we can't just stay at taking a seat at listening to people being like, "That's hard, sorry." Like we take a seat in other people's circumstances and then we become willing to lend a hand. We lend a hand, right? It kind of mesmerizes me that uh, as Christians, we think all we have to offer for people are just physical needs. And don't get me wrong, I'm all about physical needs. The book of James says, don't tell someone God bless you when they're like freezing to death without a blanket. Like give them a blanket, bro, then tell them God loves you, okay? Like physical needs are good and physical needs are necessary and they're all over scripture. But we lose out and I think we forget as followers, I don't think I know we forget as followers of Jesus, like there's a whole spiritual aspect to life that we have on offer through the Holy Spirit to provide for our city. Like like, there are people in our city who are looking for answers, not just some food to eat or a nice warm blanket, but are looking for spiritual answers that only we have to provide. Like only we got it. OK, like like the government's not going to like the government's not going to like cast out demons. <laughs> OK, they're going to they're the, they are the demons. Right. Like so like, you know what I'm saying? Like like we're kind of waiting around for like people to take care of everything. But it's like as Christians, this is it. Like we got the ability. Right. Like we got the ability by the Holy Spirit. And through spiritual gifts, we're able to glorify God and serve people. Right. And every single believer has a spiritual gift. Right? If you want to do a study on spiritual gifts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like write off numbers right here. and Just write them down, okay? Read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, okay? What is that? 12, 12, 4, 4. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, okay? If you read those books, you understand that each follower of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is given a list of gifts, Some are given two, some are given three, some are given one, okay? there's certain spiritual gifts that are only spiritual gifts. Prophecy, healing, speaking in tongues, these different things, right? And then there are other things that are not spiritual gifts. Like playing guitar really well, it's not a spiritual gift. Like spitting game isn't a spiritual gift, I'm sorry, okay? Like, Like being really good at sports or I got a scholarship, it's not a spiritual gift, bro. You just got like cool knees, okay? Like there are certain things... That God has on offer by the power of his Holy Spirit and a work he wants to do through his people, and it's in the form of spiritual gifts, right? And we can gloss over the fact that Joseph right here is being filled by the Holy Spirit to provide a spiritual gift. And gifts only work to glorify God and serve people. It's not like you show up to a party like, bro, you want to see something crazy? Honda, Kia, Honda, Honda, Kia. Like, no. You're not going to a party, like, to, like, show off your spiritual gift. Like, you want to see this dead guy raise up? Okay, like. That's not the point of spiritual gifts. It's to glorify God and serve people. And with the theology of the Holy Spirit, there's three forms the Holy Spirit takes through the, through the whole canon of Scripture, okay? So I'm going to go, like, Bible nerd real quick, all right, with a fedora on, all right? So here, this is what is a, a – he is the, – the Holy Spirit is coming upon Joseph in this moment, right? Joseph isn't just naturally good at dreams. Like, it's not like astrology guy. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I'm a cancer. What are you? Like, I'm going to tell you your dreams. Like – No, 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 no. This is a spiritual gift moment. I believe Joseph has the gift of prophecy, and that's what he uses to glorify God and serve people. And so all throughout Scripture, three things the Holy Spirit does. It comes within people. It goes within people. It dwells within people. That's New Testament believers, by the way. Right? That's post-cross. That's the only way it's able to happen. But pre-cross, the Holy Spirit was in people from time to time and then came upon people. Does that make sense? So, like, Saul, if you read it in 1 Samuel... There's this really weird verse where he's like naked, convulsing on the floor, prophesying. Okay, I just, please don't ever do that here. But like it says the Holy Spirit came upon Saul. And it's like the Holy Spirit just chose to go upon Saul to use him. It didn't stay with him forever. That's why Saul says, please do not take your spirit from me, right? Like we don't, they they weren't living in post-cross promise, right? Jesus promised my Holy Spirit will never leave you right so if you're a follower of Jesus you can't lose the holy spirit but you can mute its power in your life right you can mute the voice of the spirit right you can't take it right so we see post cross that the holy spirit is within followers of Jesus continually and that should encourage us like we have a double portion of the holy spirit than anybody in the old testament you know what i mean like we have double the portion of the holy spirit continually over samson okay like like we have double the spirit It's beautiful. Like, that should encourage us as followers of Jesus. Like, we see all these cool stories. It's like, no, my friend, that's for you as well. So we see post-cross, the Holy Spirit dwells within people. But then pre-cross, it would only come upon people in certain specific moments to carry out a task. And so we see this with Joseph. This is what he is doing. And so if, if you're wondering, how can I lend a hand to people through my spiritual gifts? How can I begin to understand what my spiritual gifts are? my friend, you have to come to a place where you're more dependent upon God, right? Because God doesn't barge in on, on your plans, right? Like, he will sometimes, like, kick open the door like a SWAT team, but, like, most of the time, he's like, all right, bro, you want to kind of do this whole dating thing on your own? Like, good luck. You're not going to do well, like usual. But, like, right? Like, we, we, that one burned. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, like, it, it, if God, like, respects us, okay? If you're kind of, like, Hey, I'm going to do it on my own, Lord. I'm just going to kind of figure it out. He's like, okay. But when we invite God into a situation where we cannot do it on our own, right, like, like where we cannot function on our own, that's when he shows up. Every single time in the Old Testament, this is the case. You know, like the walls of Jericho, like they're like, we're going to, it's like technically genocide. We're not going to talk about that. But like, they're like jumping around the walls with like trumpets, like it makes no sense. But like God shows up. Like, every single time it made the least sense, God made the most of the situation. Do you place yourself in situations, not dangerous ones, okay, but, like, ministry situations where you're just like, Lord, I just need you to show up. Like, like a good example is praying for people. Like, you see somebody and you just feel like they need prayer. You ever been in this situation? Yeah? Like, you see somebody and you feel like they need prayer. It's like, okay, like, I'm just going to pray for them. And maybe you just need to say, Lord, be with this person. I've had friends who feel like they're given a word of knowledge about a person like their single mom and they're going through a hard time. And they prayed for them. Like that's not at all what I'm going through, but thanks. Like it, it requires a certain stepping out though. It, it requires a certain tenacity to say, God, I, you're going to go before me. I'm going to do it. Don't be like stupid or ridiculous. But trusting the Holy Spirit to move and, and trusting God's voice in your life to direct you to what he's doing. Because if you do it on your own, you can go for a little bit. But you're only working on a small reserve of your own willpower and skill and ability. And the skill and ability of God, the power of spirit, is so much bigger than your tiny tank. Do we put ourselves in ministry situations where it just kind of doesn't make sense? Like it it doesn't make sense to go pray for somebody. It doesn't make sense to get up on a stage and teach for 35 minutes about the life of Joseph. Like I can't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's like are we stepping out? Are we cool just kind of laying back? Doing the logical thing. Doing the reasonable thing. Or do we want to grow in our giftings? It's up to us to decide. Let's keep reading. So first we take a seat. Second is we lend a hand through our spiritual gifts, through how God is working in our lives. And then this is the last thing. Verse 14. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that sh- they should put me into the pit. So just the lowest of the low moment for Joseph. And then listen, verse 23, this is so jacked up. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Like, oh, dude. Bro, I interpreted your dream with the bread and the wine and you forgot me. <laughs> Poor guy. See, this is the tragedy of Joseph's life. And this is what nobody really talks about. Even with him going to Pharaoh and having the dreams interpreted, Joseph's whole life, people like him for what he has to offer them. You ever realize that? Like, these two people, he interprets one more guy's dream, and they're only interested and invested in who he is because of what he has to offer a service he has to provide. Even his brothers, everybody his whole life only cares for him for that reason. It's actually quite tragic. But what I love about Joseph Is that he's so honest. He realizes it's time to be honest. It is time to be honest. This is the place Joseph is at. I like that Joseph isn't okay with just accepting the reality of, I'm in prison, that's it. No, he sees a way out. He knows that these two guys are going to return to Pharaoh to either be beheaded or restored. And he says, No, no, I see my way out of my environment. I'm gonna do everything I can to grow from this space. I'm going to do everything I can because I know my purpose in life is far beyond just ra- wasting away and rotting away in this cell. I'm going to take my opportunity while I see it. He was honest with himself about the environment he was in was not cultivating the greatest faith within him. Like the, the environment he was in, if he just accepted it, if said, okay, I guess I'm just like a prisoner now. I'm just going to sit in the corner and do push-ups and grow a beard. Like that's my life. I'm just going to accept it. Like he could have done that. He could have just like given up been apathetic. But Joseph was honest that, no, no, there's more for me in my life. There, there's more for me. There's more promises God has given me than to just stay in this moment. See, Joseph, he, he's able to adapt, though, to the environment he is in because he decides to not fall victim to the circumstances he's been given. Right, like, like Joseph, he's able to adapt to, to this environment. He's able to look beyond what the environment has to offer, what the immediate circumstances have to offer, because he's, he's adapting to it. His, his faith is growing because he's seeing beyond just simply staying in one small cubic square. And if that isn't making sense, let me try to explain it a, a little bit further. I believe our faith is shaped by our environment, right, your environment is what surrounds you, your environment is kind of the unchangeable things you are in, circumstances are a little different, circumstances change with time, but environment is like, you are a young adult in America in 2022, sorry, but like, that's like the environment, right, it's it's a hard environment, and your faith is grown by the harder the environment you're placed in, right, Daniel, amen, right, So if that's not making sense, let me explain to you, like, a goldfish. So that's what I got up here. He's not dead. There's actually a goldfish in here. I'm going to try to, like, not shine the lights on him, okay? Do you all see that, how tiny that is? What should I name him? I named him Jeffrey. Sorry, I already made up my mind. (laughs) So this is Jeffrey the goldfish, okay? And I didn't know this, but goldfish get bigger than this. They get, like, one to two inches bigger, okay? Right? Pretty crazy. But they don't stop growing there. Goldfish, if if you took them out of this little bag and you put them into, like, a bowl, right, they grow to, like, two inches. Then if you took them out of the little bowl and then you put them in a 10-gallon tank, they grow to, like, six inches, right? If you took this goldfish and then put it in the wild, that's actually, like, a huge issue right now. I did a lot of research on goldfish. (laughs) Yeah, that's real. But if you put this goldfish in the wild, it'd become 16 inches long. I think we have a photo of a full-size goldfish. That's how big they can get. That is no lie. Yeah, that's like, that's like radiation, like, that was by Los Alamos, I guess. But like, (laughs) right, like, they get huge. Like, they can get really big. But it's the environment they're placed in. See, when you put them in a comfortable, safe little bag, their lifespan is shortened and their growth is stunted. Right, if you put it in a little bit more of a scarier context, a little bigger tank, a little more unknown, They grow a little bit more, but they're still stunted. But when you put them in dire circumstances where the wild, right, like anything could eat that like a freaking bear, I guess. But, like, you put them in the wild where there's so much unknown, everything seems chaotic, that's when they are their healthiest. The same is with your faith. If you want your faith to be small, if you want your relationship to God to to be really shallow, get yourself in predictable, safe circumstances with people. Get yourself get yourself in a university that everybody agrees with you. Get yourself at a job where everybody agrees with you. Get yourself with friends where everything's an echo chamber all the time and your growth and your faith in God and your circumstance where you got all figured out. It's gonna be small because you're not gonna be able to rely on God very much. You got it figured out for yourself. Put yourself in a little bit more of a Scarier context, socially, where some people disagree with you. People actually know how to rebuttal against all the things you were told growing up. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose my faith. Like, there's some growth there. Like, we talk about this so often of, like, oh, these young adults are losing their faith in university. It's like, hey, if some dude in the front of Blue Planet, which I went to, can, like, disconvince you out of faith, you're looking for a reason to not follow Jesus, okay? Like, Like, if you can show me a green worm and say, yeah, see, the Bible's not real. It's like, dude, I'm a little bit more of a theologian of just reading the Bible to know, like, this doesn't disprove anything, okay? Like, are we putting ourselves in context that strengthen and grow us and challenge us? Because your environment dictates everything for your faith. If you want to remain tiny, not very usable, have your faith die young, don't put yourself in harder circumstances. But if you want to be somebody used by God, like used by God. If you want to be somebody who, who steps out in faith and grows in the spirit and is somebody who is such a catalyst for Jesus. Get around people that disagree with you. Right, like this is what Jesus did. He sat at the table with sinners. Okay, he sat at the table with the despicable people of his society that nobody liked. Like, are we willing to kind of step out and be okay with a little discomfort as Christians? Or do we got to listen to Caleb all day, right? Do we got to shop at Hobby Lobby and eat at Chick-fil-A and like everybody knows what we think and everybody's cool with us? Like, we need a little bit of like sparks flying. We need a little bit of resistance, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we need a little bit of, of a strengthening environment. So if you're here tonight and you're in a circumstance where it's like, man, life is hard, my friend, I'm so excited for you. Dude, I am so happy for you if you hate your job right now. Like, I am not kidding right now. Like, you th- like I'm dead serious. Like, I am so happy for you if university is, like, pressuring in on you. Right? Because that's even more so for you to be dependent upon God. Right? Like, your answer isn't to go to another Christian university. Like, maybe God needs you at UNM to minister to the lost. Right, like like maybe God needs you at the secular workplace where everyone's defaming God so you can stand up for who Jesus is in your workplace. Like maybe that's where you need to be because nobody else is going to go. I think Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Send me into the wolves. Send me into the darkness because I got you. I got my light. I got my light through you, Jesus. I I don't got to provide anything on my own that you're going to be providing that through me by the power of your spirit. In closing, um, I recently had a friend who uh, just decided to start going to AA because he just realized he had an issue. And at AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, they do something really fascinating. They first ask you to identify you have a problem. You don't blame it on, well, I just like to do this, or I just like, like, hey, I have a problem, I drink too much. That's the first thing they ask you to do. The second step they ask you to do is a change of environment because they understand AA, this secular organization, understands that you will never change, that you will never curb these addictions and these patterns in your life if you keep returning to the same spaces where they were fed. They tell tell you you need to change your environment because it's feeding your desire. I would say the same is true for our faith and our relationship to Jesus. That some of us, we need to be honest and have a change of environment. Some of us have been a little too comfortable Some of us have been a little bit too much of this guy right here. Right? I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna be a goldfish, I'm gonna be like the best goldfish I can be, you know what I mean? But but we put ourselves in this situation where everything's safe, everything's figured out, everything's predictable, everyone agrees with me. There's no challenge, there's no growth. So if you wanna be somebody who endures through hard times, because let me tell you something. If life is all easy and cherry for you and you're not used to any kind of suffering, the moment suffering really hits. Man, it's going to be hard. But if you're introduced slowly to suffering, if you're introduced slowly to hardship, it's the next rung on the ladder to look more like Jesus truly, right? The son of suffering. That's who we follow. So I want to challenge you. Think about the environments you're in. Think about the people you surround yourself with. Think about the school you're going to. Think about the ways you're thinking about these things, do you view it as a burden? Do you view it as just get through it, to get it over with? Or do you view it as an opportunity, that things are really hard right now, so it's time to grow the faith, right? Right? It, it, things are really hard right now, but that means I'm, I'm prime real estate for God to use me greater. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for calling us up and out. That, Lord, you you ask us that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, God, that we are supposed to look out for others. We're supposed to be aware of them. That, Lord, not only are we supposed to be aware of them, but, Father, we are also called by you to reach out and offer what you have for others. That we want to meet physical needs, but, God, there are spiritual needs in our city. There are people tormented spiritually that by the power of spirit can only be freed. There are people who... Lord, they need the healing work of your gospel and your word. I pray that we're, we're just catalysts willing to open our mouth and share your word with people. That we're kind and we're understanding. We have a seat in people's story. But also, Father, that, God, we're not afraid of your word because it's healing. It doesn't return void. So, Lord, equip these young adults. This is the generation right now setting the pace for the next year.